Hello, and thanks for tuning in to Stable Connections, the podcast. Today's episode is joined by Jacqueline Pepper, who lets us in on her journey from Hunter Jumper World to dressage and what it's like being a young trainer. Hope you enjoy. So my name is Jacqueline Pepper, and I'm from Southern California. I grew up in San Diego, been riding my whole life since I was a three-year-old. I kind of got into horses because my mom rode as a kid, and just casually, just at her house, she had a pony that she got for Christmas and didn't have a saddle or a bridle or anything, never took lessons. She just rode it in her backyard and down the street. And so she always had a love for horses. And that's definitely a genetic thing that got passed on to me. And when I was eight months old, I got burned really badly. Uh, A waitress spilled boiling tea on me. And so I was like traumatized and terrified of everything as a kid. And so when I was three, I was at the fair and I wanted to get on the horses on the little pony ride. And my parents were like, I don't know, you're afraid of dogs, you're afraid of everything, like you're probably gonna freak out and that's not gonna go well. But I was just like, no, I wanna ride the ponies, I wanna ride the ponies. And they put me on and they could not get me off for like two hours. They kept having to pay to let me go (laughs) around and around and it's, that's been my whole life ever since then. It's never stopped and I've never had a job other than something at the barn. So I grew up doing hunter jumpers in San Diego. And then when I was 13, I had a a mare that I was doing the hunters on that bucked me off every week. She was very persnickety. (laughs) And if it wasn't perfect, she was going to unload me on the other side. And my mom at the time had started taking dressage lessons and she made me take dressage lessons for the summer and I was just like no I want to jump I don't want anything to do with that and I showed up for my first lesson and I had to ride her pony who was very naughty and (laughs) he was being his typical self and I like got on and rode him and the trainer was just like wow, you're a tough little kid. Like, how are you getting him to do all of this? And I ended up having the opportunity to ride some really nice horses that summer and feel what real dressage was actually like and kind of never looked back. I always knew I was going to be a professional in this industry, but I really thought I was going to go the jumper route. And that that summer completely changed my entire life. Had you told me at that time that I was going to be a dressage trainer, I would have been like, yeah, right. You know, at that age, it's like nobody knows what they want to do with their life. And especially most kids don't want to ride dressage <laughs> at all. They want to jump. And I definitely went into it with that mindset. And I was just like, there's no way I'm doing that. But I fell in love with it. There was something really special about being able to have that connection with the horses and make them feel as good as they feel when you do dressage. Not just get on and, you know, point and shoot and jump and hang on. And I mean, I love jumping. Don't get me wrong. But there was something different about it. And it really clicked for me. From a young age, I got to ride a lot of really cool horses and have the opportunity to ride a lot of different horses but I had a trainer from a very young age that kind of took me under her wing and 
really showed me what it could be like. And it was so different than what I had experienced before. And I was just like, wow, I had no idea that you could get a horse to feel like that and have that different connection. And it just sparked something in me that I'll never forget. And it's been really cool because I've been able to really bring it full circle. Like as an adult, I went and worked for jumper trainers. I've worked for Ned and Hope at Sonoma Valley Stables and Joey Padroni and got to kind of bring that full circle and show these jumper riders like, look, you can make your horse go better. You don't have to just say, oh, they're so stiff and they fall to the left all the time. Like, you can fix that and it will make your jumping way better. So that's been really cool. And I still do a lot of that. But now I mostly just focus on my own dressage horses and and competing myself and bringing them up the levels. So So when did you move up here? I moved here right out of high school with my trainer from Southern California Yeah, she got married and moved up here, and I kind of, in high school, was not sure what I was going to do. I wasn't sure where I was going to go to college. I knew I was going to ride, but I didn't really have a plan, and she said she was moving up here, and I said, okay, I'm moving too. (laughs) I packed up and left right right when I graduated, and that was kind of scary living on my own, and going somewhere where I didn't know any, I mean, I knew her, but nobody else. And it was like, but that's the best decision I think I've ever made in my life was to leave home and go out on my own like that from such a young age. Did she take you under her wing in terms of like finding a place to live up here and stuff? I lived with her for a little, for a couple of months. And then my dad came up and he helped me find an apartment and all of that. And I went to school for a while. I was going to the junior college in Santa Rosa with plans to eventually transfer to Sonoma State. And I was going to school full-time, taking night classes and working at the barn full-time during the day. And then I finally just got to a point where I was like, I'm not going to school anymore. This is like, it's too much. And I'm not good at school, quite frankly. (laughs) So I was just like, you know what, Uh, it's time to really make this my focus. And I ended up stopping, I don't know, five years into it. (laughs) Yeah, so I got into it pretty far, but it was still like I had so much to do. And Did you ever transfer to snow? No. (laughs) No, I'm horrible at math. And uh, I was supposed to take like two more math classes and that was not going to happen. So ended up uh, just deciding to ride full time. And that's, that's all I've ever done. I've only ever, I was telling one of my clients that today, I've only ever worked in the barn and it's like, no coffee shop job, nothing. My husband was asking me the other day, he was like, you know, if you didn't ride and train anymore, what would you do? And I was like, I have no idea (laughs) as much as I get tired of the crappy things that come along with running a business and running a barn and all of that and threaten to just, I'm done with it. I just want to ride my own horses and be done. I have no idea what I would do besides this. There's, there is no other plan. It's who I am. So, so I always worked for her and did dressage, but I worked for Ned and Hope Glenn at the same time. And And did you find them once you moved up here? Yeah. Yeah. We were on, our barn was on the same road as theirs. And Mm -hmm. I was kind of looking for some other part-time work. And I was like, you know, I used to ride hunter jumpers. I'll go down the street and talk to them and ended up getting a job and worked there for years and then ended up working for another dressage trainer part-time. After that, Joey Padroni's assistant trainer for 
three years and that was one of the best jobs I've ever had. She's become a really good friend of mine after that and uh, we're still really close and then my trainer and kind of mentor ended up moving out of the area and kind of left her business to me. I took over everything and then just did that full time and that's where I'm at now. <laughs> yeah. What was it like starting your own thing? How did you come up with the name? It's obviously your last name. But... Yeah. <laughs> it, I kind of got thrown in the deep end a little bit. All the trainers I worked for, you know, they would leave for shows for weeks at a time. So I was like, I know how to run the barn. I can keep the horses going. I can teach the lessons. I can manage the barn and all of the things that come with that. The business side of it was really tricky and the managing of employees and people is really hard for me. That's not my strong suit and that's something I think as a kid or a teenager or even in my younger 20s, something that I didn't take into consideration is you don't get to just train and teach the lessons and do the writing. Like, it's a small part of it. It takes up the majority of my time, I would say, during the day, but, like, mentally, it's a small part of it. That's the easy part, right? It's it's managing the people and, and all of that that's really tricky. But still, at the end of the day, I'm lucky I have very good people in my corner and I have a good team behind me that makes it work. <laughs> so yeah. that helps. How old were you when you when you officially started your program? When I was just completely on my own, 25. So still young, you know, to kind of be like, here you go. And that was a problem for quite a long time because a lot of people were like, well, you're 25. Like, what do you know? And I was like, okay. I might be 25, but I've been doing this way longer than you have. I've yeah. been in horses my whole life. I have more experience than you have. And it took, I feel like now at almost 30, people are finally taking me seriously. Not that I'm just this little kid that doesn't know anything. And especially being under my mentor's wing for so long, it was always like, oh, you're the little kid. Like, oh, and now you're taking over. And it's not that way. And, you know, it took a long time to kind of push through that a little bit, but Good for you for not giving up. I'm yeah. Sure it was super daunting. At times. Yeah. And it's frustrating when people don't take you seriously. And it's like, just because I'm young in age doesn't mean I don't have the knowledge and experience to do this. And yeah, I'm not saying I'm not done learning. You're never done learning, especially in horses. There's always something you're still going to learn. How did you decide on your business name and everything? My business name? You know, I went back and forth with that for a long time. I was like, should I have something cool? Like, I don't know, you hear people with fun, fun business names, and I was like, no, I'm just chocolate pepper dressage. My, actually, my old roommate made my logo and cool. did all of that and kind of helped me get my website and, and my brand off the ground a little bit. Do you do any cross training and stuff with your horses still? I do, yeah, I really like to do a lot of Cavaletti work and take them out on trails and do hill work when we can. The facility I'm at currently, we don't have any hills, but I like to take them to the beach from time to time. The ones that aren't totally nuts, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Some of them, my horse, I might not take out there. <laughs> He's a little bit too hot for that, but yeah. yeah, I like to do beach rides and a lot of Cavaletti work and jumping too. I jump a lot of the dressage horses from time to time so it's really good for their brains and do something fun and different and I really try to keep it different 
on a daily basis for them not doing the same drills over and over and over, but really trying to mix it up and keep it interesting and fun for them. What has it been like building clients? And have you kept a lot of the same clients from... Yeah, a mix. I do have some clients that I've had from the very, very beginning, even from before I really had my own official business. I had a couple of my own clients that have been with me for nine, ten years, like since the very beginning when I was really young. So I'm very lucky to have them. They're really wonderful people. And since I went fully out on my own, it's really been important to me to have good people in. I have to be with these people all day long. I see them more than my family, more than my husband. And so surrounding myself with people that are not going to make me lose my mind has been really important. And I have definitely asked some people to leave my program because of that. And that's the one of the best decisions I've ever made for myself was to put my foot down and say, you know what, I'm not going to be treated like that and I don't care how much money you're paying me, it's not worth it to me. So I've really kind of changed my group a lot and I mean my business is very full at the moment. I have 16 horses which is, I feel very fortunate and they're all really wonderful people. Like, I've really worked hard to make that a priority, and it's paid off. And are most of your clients wanting to show? I have a mix. Uh, it's about half and half. I have a really dynamic group. I would say now I'm getting a little bit more that want to show, but... I'll teach anybody. I really don't care if you are just learning how to ride or if you want to show FEI or what level you or your horse are at. Like, I really, as long as you're a willing student and you are going to try and give me some effort in it and meet me halfway, I'm happy to teach anybody. So I do have a good group of clients that show and I love to compete myself, so I'm I'm going every month pretty much when show season's going. I also have a group that stays at home, and they just want to hang out. I have some clients that don't ride at all, and I just ride the horses, and I have some that ride four or five days a week, and I have a very mixed group for that. Do you have any lesson horses? I did. My old FEI horse, Taboo, I was teaching lessons on him until about three or four months ago. He's 21 now and it was it was time for him to retire and just be done and enjoy his life. So not at the moment and it's something I have thought about reinvesting in at some point for sure because I had a full waiting list for him which was really fun especially knowing him so well. I've had him for 11 going on 12 years and he was the best teacher for me growing up. So getting to pass that experience and that knowledge on to other people was incredible. And knowing his ins and outs so well, I feel like I could teach people on him really, really well. So I'd love to find something like that again. I'll never be able to get that quality of horse as a lesson horse. So that was quite the opportunity for people that got to experience that. But I would love to go down that path again at some point. Tell me about your current horse. How did he come into your life? So 
I have three. <laughs> yes. So Cooper, he is the horse that I compete. He's a Hanoverian gelding who is 11 years old. He's 18 two hands. He's gigantic. And he's a goober. He's the biggest goofball of a horse I've ever, ever met. I've never met a quirkier horse than he is. <laughs> but he's awesome. I've been riding him since he was three, and he officially became mine when he was five. So Marsha, who is my like barn manager, head groom, kind of right-hand lady, her and her mom have bred horses for 60-something years. They're local here in Petaluma. And he was the last warm blood that they bred. So they, up until recently, had his mother and grandmother. They showed through uh, Grand Prix and the Jumpers. He's all jumper bloodlines. But when he was three, she brought him to the barn to kind of have some basic dressage training. And then the idea was to sell him. And I was put in charge of riding him. And I, I remember the day he showed up. And he was like 17 hands as a three-year-old. And I was like, you want me to get on that thing? He's massive. And, and you're not super tall. Yeah. And I was like, okay. And so I rode him. And his canter was so well-balanced and comfortable. And I was like, as a three-year-old, you're cantering like this? Like, that's pretty amazing. And he ended up hurting himself. And they took him back to their house and they hired me to come rehab him and ride him at their house. And I remember just riding him and I was just like, he's so amazing. Like, I don't know, him and I just clicked right from the, from the start. And I decided that I wanted to buy him and I took his owner, Audrey, out to lunch. And I was like, I have no money, but I'll make payments to you, whatever you want, whatever we can work out. And she was like, yeah, let's do it. Like, I need to sell him. You love him. You do a good job with him. So I did a vet check and he ended up having a ton of major problems. He has a fractured sesamoid bone in his right front. And my vet was like, do not buy that horse. Do not put any money into him. Like that's, it's a ticking time bomb. He was like, I have no idea. He could be sound forever or he could be lame. He was like, do not jump him, but he might be okay. So I, I went to her and I was like, look, I cannot give you money for him at all. I can't, I have nothing and I can't waste what little I have on, on something that's such a big risk. So we kind of sat on it. I was still riding him. And like a month later, she asked me to come over for dinner. And she asked me if I would take him. She said, I'll give him to you. And she said, if he ever breaks, he always has a home here. If you need to retire him, like cool. uh, he can always live here. And yeah, so now we are. However many years later, he's 11, coming 12, and I'm going to do my first Grand Prix on him this year. <laughs> yeah, he's like almost ready to do it, so yeah. it's exciting. It's He's the first horse I've trained from the very ground up all the way up the levels, and he's like schooling all of it confidently, so I'm super excited, and knock on wood, he's been sound, and I've yeah. had no problems with him, which is a miracle. <laughs> yeah. Do you do any sort of body work to yeah. help him along? Yeah. Julie from Healthy Horse Massage. <laughs> she, she's over every month at my barn. She does oh. body work and he gets chiropractic and acupuncture. And, and she just got a cryo machine. Yeah. And she does that on him all the time. He oh. gets, he's very spoiled. He gets all the stuff. Yeah. So <laughs> yeah, no, he's, he's definitely well taken care of. And I just can't believe he's like doing it. You know, I've, and it's, you, 
and you are yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> but it's it hasn't been easy with him for sure I mean he's huge and he's as long as he is tall <laughs> and he's very sensitive which that works out well in my case because he is so big if he was dull there's no way but he's he's incredibly sensitive and hot and he's sensitive mentally too and when he was younger I had a couple of different clinic situations with people that really pushed me to try to get him to pee off as a five-year-old and try to get him to do pirouettes as a six-year-old and I always was like no he's not ready for that and they were like, no, 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 we have to work on half steps. And that really fried him for a little bit. Just, he was, he tries so hard. And if he doesn't understand something, he gets really worried about it. And they really were trying to push me, push me, do this, do this. And it, it took just me. his ability. And exactly. And they were like, and he's so big, you have to teach him to collect and sit now or you're never going to get it. And I knew that that was not right. And it's hard in a clinic situation to stand up and say, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not going to follow what you're telling me to do in your lesson. And, you know, I would kind of go, okay. And it was, it, no, I, I knew it was like not okay to do any of it. And so I really went back and was like, we're not doing this. And I had so many people tell me to sell him down the road. They were like, he's too big. He's never going to make it to FEI. There's no way. I mean, even my own coach for a long time was like, I don't know, he's kind of difficult, he's really quirky, and he's so big, like, you're never going to get him to pee off or do any of that. And he said, no, I believe in him, like, he can do it, and I know he can, and it might take me a little longer to get there, but he'll do anything I ask him to, and if he understands it, he'll do whatever. So I've really kind of stuck to that and said, no, I'm not going to force him into these things. And here we are. Even my own coach, like last year, I came out of the show ring and he was just like, you're trying to prove me wrong, aren't you? <laughs> and I was like, yes, I am. <laughs> uh, who's your current coach? Volker Broman. Yeah, I've been riding with him for 10 years, a long time. So he's been a, a huge part in bringing him along. I don't get to ride with him as often as I would like to, because he doesn't live here. He's in Auburn, so ah. he's not too far away, but not local, so maybe once a month, if I'm lucky, I get a lesson. Uh, I do have a young horse, too. I have a two-coming-three-year-old who I'm right, really you excited you have three about. Horses yeah, and you've only, you've yeah I have Taboo. Oh, the taboo. old, the old okay. my old man who's retired now, who I did young riders with. He was actually my first dressage horse that I owned. I had like my very first pony that my mom rode that I got when I was nine and he was two and a half for Christmas. <laughs> yes. Good idea. Right. No, my mom, like, I think tried to kill me <laughs> when I was a kid. She, I'll never forget that. It was Christmas morning and we had just moved into the house that my mom built and designed and everything. And we had a pond in our backyard <laughs> and my siblings and I got my mom lily pads for Christmas. And we were like, oh, let's go put them in the pond. And they had, we had built a two stall barn at the house, had no horses yet. You know, I was just riding lesson horses at the time. And we were like, okay, we're going to go down to the barn. And I remember the day before, like being up at the house, and looking down there and seeing some green stuff, like, in the in and out And I was like, what 
is that? And my mom was like, oh, they spray painted, like totally (laughs) trying to play it off. It was hay and there was a pony hiding in the stall. (laughs) And so we went down there on Christmas morning and out walks this little halflinger, you know, cute as a button, like fuzzy hair everywhere, bows and wreaths and bells all over him. And my trainer at the time was leading him, and I'm so oblivious. I remember going, who's this lady at our house? (laughs) Not realizing, oh, you're getting a pony for Christmas. It's so funny. But he was two and a half, and I think they put a month under saddle on him before giving him to To me. To a nine-year-old. Yes, (laughs) for Christmas. And I climbed on him in my pajamas on Christmas morning and rode him around and Totally oblivious to all of it, but my mom still has him. He's 22 now, and uh, he's a stinker. But yeah, my baby horse is really cute. He's two coming three, so I'm going to start him under saddle soon. And he is from the same breeder Taboo is from. Taboo has been, like, my horse of a lifetime, and I always wanted to get another horse that was from the same breeder, Deborah Harrison. She's uh, down in San Juan Batista, so she's here local to California, which is another thing I think is really cool. I have all California-bred horses, and to me that's something really important to kind of get behind is supporting local breeders, and not just California, but the United States in general, that you can find these quality of horses without going overseas. You know, you see so many people get stuck in that and it's, you don't have to. (laughs) You can find them here in Petaluma even. People get so suckered into the fantasy of, oh, I'm going to go to Europe and yeah, yeah, I'm going to get this fancy imported horse and you can find just as good of horses, if not better, here and spend less money. And they put... don't go through the trauma. I, that's exactly what I was going to say. You put less wear and tear on them and the trauma of going through importing and flying them over here and being in quarantine and all that's so hard on them. Like, yeah. you can find them here. Cooper is bred here in Petaluma. And it's like, you know, I've taken him to nationals and done all of it. But Ollie, his name's Onea. Uh, she names all of her horses after Hawaiian names, if they have a name for that letter of the year. Uh, and they're all Dutch warm bloods. So Ollie is related to Taboo through the mother's line. And then he is by Gaudi SSF, who is Totilas and De Niro. So I have a, a mare in training, actually Marsha, who bred Cooper, her mare, Ellie, and I compete her currently. So two really special horses in my life kind of combined into him. So I'm excited. He's um, He's got big shoes to fill. <laughs> <laughs> he is currently with a natural horsemanship guy for some groundwork because he's quite the handful. <laughs> when I got him, my plan really was to do it all myself and he challenged me quite a lot. And it wasn't that I didn't think I could do it. It was that I knew realistically I did not have the time to put in the hours that he truly needed right now. And I did not want to give him a bad start to life. And I said, you know what? This area is not my specialty and you need somebody that can sit there for five hours with you until you calm down. Cause he would, I couldn't catch him. He was like feral when I got him. He was out in a field with probably 20 other yearlings and they pulled him in and I, he was not really halter broke or anything. Like he had, had been handled by like two people and that was it. And I remember the day we picked him up, they had kind of taught him how to trailer load and like basically one lady could handle him. But 
he got away from her three times. I was just like, oh god, this is gonna be a disaster. Like, he already knows he can rip away from you and take off. And I will say I worked through a lot of it. <laughs> like, I got him to the point where I could catch him and brush him and pick his feet up and lead him around, but he was still quite a handful. And I just said, you know what, you need somebody that can really, like, commit hours a day to this. And I only had like an hour, maybe two at the most, and it was at the end of the day, and I was tired after riding 15 horses a day, and I said, I'm sending you to somebody who's really good at it. So he's with this guy, JP Dial, who uh, was recommended to me by my vet. JP's amazing. Like, I have nothing but amazing things to say about him. He has completely changed Ollie's life, and had he not done this work, he would have been a nightmare <laughs> to deal with. When I took him up there, I said, you keep him as long as you need. Like, I really want to be the one to start him under saddle. I don't want him back until he has, like, basic life skills. Yeah. Like, he needs and to he lead, lunge, cross tie, you know, get a bath, stand for the farrier without kicking them. Like, basic skills. <laughs> and then I'll take him back. So, he's kind of at that point now. And I told him I'm going to leave him there till the spring, just because winter's tough. You know, the days are short. It's rainy. It's muddy. I'll bring him back in the spring. He'll be ready to start this summer. So once I get him back, then I can start that process of getting him used to tack. We'll see. I have big goals and aspirations for him. He's, in my opinion, I think a really nice horse. Like, every time I watch him move, my jaw drops. He's amazing. But we'll see. You know, I bought him as an investment, and if he doesn't end up being what I really want for my next step in my career, then that's fine. And I, I'm going into this knowing that, that he might just be an investment, and I'll keep him and train him as long as I can and see where he goes. And if not, then he'll have a nice amateur lady to take him along, and I'll find another. What are your goals for your big gray. Yeah. Oh, the big boy. Uh, Coop, my goal right now is to get him to Grand Prix. I'm pretty confident we'll show Intermediate 2 at the next show. So I think Grand Prix is not far off from that. I would love to get that done this season. If not next year, then that's fine. And I would really like to qualify to go to nationals again with him. I took him to Kentucky in 2019 for Intermediate 1, and we've kind of been hanging out at that level for a little while now. It's a huge jump from the Intermediate 1 to the Intermediate 2, so I would really like to qualify for that again, and if possible, I'd love to qualify for the Festival of Champions again for the USEF Nationals, but that's a little harder. It's like the top 15 in the country, so we'll see what happens, but that's definitely my next goal, and just see what happens with it, how well he does at it, and I think he'll really enjoy it. He loves to work really hard, so, and kind of the more you challenge him, the better he gets, uh, and just continue learning and doing as many clinics and lessons as I can with him, and after that, I don't really know. I might, I'll never sell him. He's, he has a He's permanent yours. home with me <laughs> for sure, but I might lease him out in the barn or something like that just to you know, it's expensive keeping horses, especially as a professional, and I own too many at the moment, so, yeah. but I, uh, 
have a hard time selling them. They're my babies. So I've actually never sold a horse that I've owned. What's your goal for you? I have pretty big aspirations, honestly. I would love to compete internationally and go to the Olympics one day and do all that. Whether it'll happen or not, I have no idea. It's a tricky industry because you might have the talent and ability, but it's the timing and having the right horse and the right backing and the opportunities all line up at the exact right moments. And we'll see if that happens. I have some pretty awesome people in my corner right now that want to try to help make that happen for me. And we'll see. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Do you do anything for fun outside of horses? (laughs) Fun outside of horses. Uh, I love to cook. Both my husband and I really like to cook. We golf which is hilarious. <laughs> That's my dad golfs and I always made fun of him so much when I was a kid and my husband golfs and now he's gotten me into it. So we go golf on the weekends. He works in the wine industry. So very involved in that and love to go wine tasting. His whole family is in the wine industry. So just like Napa life, you know, like food and wine and it all goes kind of together. So yeah. do a lot of that. I love to travel don't get to enough, but especially now with COVID, but, uh, I love to travel when I can. And that's hard too, getting away from the horses and making sure that I have somebody there to keep them going. And all of that is tricky. And you just got married. So yes. what's that been like? It's How did you guys good. Meet? <laughs> we met on Tinder, <laughs> which that's is okay. hilarious. Every time somebody asks me how we met, I'm like, oh, don't ask me that. <laughs> I got it over a really bad relationship. Uh, a year prior to meeting Aaron, he was incredibly abusive and I have a, uh, a restraining order against him and it was really bad. So I kind of took a year and said, I'm going to do my own thing and not speak to anybody <laughs> and focus on the horses and my dogs and just me and get myself back after that. My roommate and I were just talking one day and I was like, you know, I'm just bored like I never (laughs) I never go out I'm at the barn all the time I wasn't going to school anymore and I was like I never meet people like I hang out with all the barn ladies all the time but I was like there's not very many men in this industry. No. And you want to date a horse person? No I don't want to date a horse person. I'm like we're insane so no. (laughs) But um one day I don't know I he was the first date I went on and we met like It was right after the 2017 fires and we had been, you know, we like matched up or whatever on there (laughs) and had been messaging each other for like two weeks and we were just talking and, oh, are you okay after the fires? And, you know, yeah, my house almost burned down, but we're fine. And we decided to go out to dinner and I was, I almost bailed. I was so (laughs) nervous. I was like, you, you know, you're always told as a kid, like you don't meet strangers on the internet and I was like this just goes against everything I was taught as a kid like you're not supposed to meet up with people online but that's what people do now and we decided to meet up and go to dinner and I we sat there for like four hours at dinner and talked and talked and talked and I was like this is so different than anybody else I've ever been on a date with and we've been together for four years now and married for a couple months so it's good (laughs) who are some inspirations of yours two come to mind 
for a very similar reason, and I've been lucky enough, they're both horse people, obviously, but I've been lucky enough to ride with them both, Laura Graves and Sabine Shoot-Carey, because they are not people that have just had it handed to them. You know, they've worked their butts off to get where they are, and they've brought their horses up from the very beginning, and I have so much respect for people that do that. That's a huge divide in this industry right now, is that you either have people with money or people with big sponsors, and not to say that those people don't work hard, but they get a lot of opportunities handed to them and a lot of horses handed to them that help bring those opportunities along, right? Or you get people that go out on a whim and say, I'm going to put my belief in this horse and really work hard to make it happen and bring them along. And then they get these opportunities because of that. And I'm a little bit more on that end of the spectrum, I think, where I'm like, okay, I don't have the financial backing to go out and buy a Grand Prix horse and go and show and do all of that. But maybe I have the talent to find a nice horse and bring it along from when they're a total out of control hooligan. (laughs) But I, I have so much respect for both of those ladies because they have worked so hard and I feel very lucky to have ridden with both of them a few times. Now we're lucky that Sabine lives in this area and I get to go over to her place and ride with her and be in her clinics with her coach. And she's kind of gotten to where you are hoping to get. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So she's a huge inspiration of mine. I mean, both of them, they're both kind of in that same boat where they got a horse from the very beginning and kind of took a risk and said, I think this one might be really good and it ended up working out for them. And yeah, to just kind of follow in their footsteps. And I feel lucky to even know them and have those opportunities. Part of what I love about this industry is you never stop learning and you never stop progressing. And even if you feel like you really get it with one horse. There's always something you can improve upon. And what works on that one might not work on the next one. And it's, it keeps you on your toes and it keeps you thinking and you never, you just never stop. And every single person that you encounter in this industry, whether you're taking lessons from them or they're your groom or your farrier or your vet or anybody, you have something to learn from them and every horse, good or bad. You might like work with somebody and go, wow, that's not the path I want to go down. And I don't agree with any of that. But that's also important to realize too, that not everything works and you're not going to agree with everyone's methods. And you have to always put the horses first and make sure that they're happy and taken care of and enjoying their jobs because if they're not then why are you doing that you know I think a lot of people lose track of why they got into this industry and I like in anything really like money speaks and people get consumed by that but we all got into this because we were little kids that loved our ponies and we just wanted to hang out with them all day at the barn like I always think back to that I'm an adult and, you know, going back to, okay, what did I do as a kid? Like, I used to get on my horse at home 
bareback in a halter and jump him bridleless in my arena setting jumps on the fence and, you know, go out on trail rides for six hours and never come home and all that. And it's like, you have to go back to that. Like that was fun and the horses loved it too. And you have to, yes, we might be training and competing and doing it seriously, but keeping that in mind as well is going to keep them happy and, and you happy. Can't work and work and work. And it's yeah. just like, you know, people, if you're grinding away at a desk all day, you're not happy. And the horses are the same, so. If someone was interested in your program or contacting you, how do they do that? I have a website, <laughs> JacquelinePepperDressage.com. Or on my Facebook or Instagram. I'm pretty easy to find. It's all under Jacqueline Pepper Dressage. Just my name. All right, so what is something that you'd like to see evolve or change within the community? And how can you implement that change? Yeah. Well, there's a few things. Recently, I've been put on the CDS board. I think I have ideas and change for them and then ideas and change for the horse community in general. Like I was saying before, people remembering why they got into this and it breaks my heart when you see people just using, abusing, and running the horses into the ground and forgetting that they're animals and that it's our responsibility first and foremost to make sure that they are taken care of and not just used as machines you know especially in a competition environment and where money's on the line and people are paying a lot of money for these animals that gets forgotten and that's the worst thing possible to me. Like, that kills me <laughs> when you see people riding horses that are lame and clearly unhappy in their jobs. And I think there needs to be more regulation for that. And I don't maybe know exactly how to go about that because I get that regulating people and in industries is really difficult. But when animals are involved like that, there has to be some kind of way to fix it. You know, if you go to Europe, and I'm not saying that they don't have these problems because they do, but they have, like, if you go to Germany, you can't just hang your sign up and be, oh, hey, I'm a dressage trainer now. And you might not even know, like, if you're on the correct lead or not. Like, there are some people that I'm like, how are you a professional rider or trainer? Like, how can you be that when you have no credentials to back that up you have no experience and it doesn't even have to be that you have this big competition record that's like the least important thing right but they have a system where you have to go through training and these steps and get certified and work under somebody for so long and and we have nothing like that here and that was something that was very interesting for me moving to northern california from southern california Southern California, and obviously they still have all these problems too, but there's so many big name riders down there and a lot of competitions. You don't have as many people walking around saying, oh, hey, I'm a trainer that have these big businesses because there's way more competition, right? Like Northern California is definitely a smaller community. Not that it's tiny, but it's just viewing the two, it was different. And I know USDF is kind of doing that a little bit. They have their trainer certificate program, but there needs to be, and I don't know if it's through USEF or something, 
if you're going to be a trainer, you have to have certain knowledge <laughs> and basic horse care and things like that. And I just, it blows my mind that that's not regulated more. That I think is something that really, really needs to change just for the horse's welfare. You see so many horses suffering because of it and that's not okay, especially when we're asking them to work for us and to do these jobs and, you know, people lose sight of that because, oh, these horses are making them money and then they lose that little kid in them that loved the horses to begin with and they're just using them for money in that time and that needs to stop, in my opinion. Now I'm on this CDS board, which will be a whole new thing for me. I've never been involved in, I mean, I've always been a member and competitor with CDS, but never been involved in uh, any of their board meetings or anything. So I got asked to run for the Northern California director and I ended up coming in second for it. They said it was like super close, but then they had another board position open up and they asked if I would do it. So I said, yeah, sure, because I think there needs to be a lot of change within that. Dressage is the coolest sport and I think it does so much for the horse and it's really sad to see our community shrinking and our shows shrinking and coming from a hunter jumper background their shows are so successful their barns are huge what draws people to that right and I think that's something that CDS and dressage people in general need to focus on a little bit and like what incentives are there out there to get people interested in it? Like an example I always use is Sonoma Horse Park. They run huge shows and they have the coolest prizes and beautiful ribbons and things like that. And it's, you know, that's not why we're in it, but that is something that draws people to those shows, right? And we're spending a ton of money to go out and compete and do all of this and you come home at the end of the day, and yes, it's about spending the time with your horse and all of that, but when they hand you a, like, 10-cent little tiny ribbon and these they give a kid a wine glass with their logo on it, I'm like, that's not making these little kids, like, we need kids coming up the ranks into our sport and we don't have any of that, you know, and it's gonna die if we don't have a next generation coming, and there has to be a way to make it fun for kids at that age, where like the Sonoma Horse Park, for example, they have all these fun classes, they have cool things that get the kids involved and interested in it. Dressage can be just as fun, if not more. So why are we not on that level? You know, it's there's got to be a little bit of a gap bridged there. And I don't, maybe have all the answers on how to go about it, but I think the conversation needs to start. I mean, I'm lucky. I have a ton of juniors in my barn, and that's something that I've always wanted to focus on because I myself got into dressage at a young age, and I was the only kid in the barn, and that's something I've always wanted. Like, when I was building my business, I've always wanted a bunch of juniors in the barn. That's why they wanted me to be on the board for CDS, is they were like, we have all these like older ladies that are phasing out. They don't ride anymore. They don't compete anymore. We need somebody that's in the thick of it, training, riding, competing, and who knows what's actually going on and what needs to change and happen. And, and so there's got to be something. And I don't know, maybe 
prizes and things aren't the answer, but that can start it, you know? Like, there's a class that they do, and I get that it costs money to do all of this, but there's a, a class that they do at, at Sonoma Horse Park. It's some equitation challenge, and they win a trip to Paris. Oh, if wow. they Yeah! I'm like, okay, I understand. You gotta get sponsors and all that, but if they can make that happen, like, why can't we do something like that, you know? That gets that gets people to go to your shows. People would pay $50 more a class, $100 more a class if you can have something like that. Like one of my vets that I work with from out of town, he's a, he does team roping as an amateur rider. He was telling me that he went to Vegas for this huge competition and his team came in like seventh place. And as an amateur, he won like $50,000. I know. seventh place? Yes! And I was like, okay, what are these people doing to get these sponsorships? And I get that dressage is tricky too because it's judged and people go, well, why am I gonna put money into something that's so subjective? But there has to be an answer to this. Other disciplines are doing it. And we've got to get on board with that. Will you explain CDS for anyone that doesn't know what Yes, is? CDS is the California Dressage Society. So if you are competing in dressage in California and Nevada, they also kind of come over here. We are the USDF Region 7. So Region 7 is Hawaii, California, and Nevada. So we get a lot of competitors from Nevada. But if you compete within California, you are required to be a member of CDS, and they host a big championships every year. It alternates between Northern and Southern California, so it's it's kind of our governing body. Cool. Yeah. Well, thanks for chatting with yeah, me. Yeah, anytime. <laughs> Bye. Hey, thank you so much for tuning in to Stable Connections. This is your host, Shauna Burke. Don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, like, comment, share on both Instagram and Facebook. And if you or someone you know wants to chat with me, don't forget to email stableconnections.sb at gmail.com. New episodes will come out every Monday morning starting January 2022. See you next week.